Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for joining us today, and today we have got a great guest. We've got Andrew Whitman, a Ph.D. He's a United States Marine Corps infantry combat veteran, a former police officer, and a federal agent. As a special agent for the U.S. Capitol Police, Whitman led the security detail for Nancy Pelosi, has personally protected Hillary Clinton, Joe Lieberman, Kim Abdullah of Jordan, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, and my favorite, Sir Elton John, and a few Fortune 20 CEOs. As a security contractor for the State Department, he taught high-threat diplomatic security to former Navy SEALs, Marines, Rangers, and Special Forces. He's the founder of the Mental Toughness Training Center, which is a leadership consultancy specializing in peak performance, team dynamics, resolving conflict in the workplace, and he's written, written some books, Ground Zero Leadership, CEO of You, and Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents, 2018. We all need that one. And he holds a PhD in theological studies. He's a guest lecturer at Clemson University, and he co-hosts the radio call-in show, Get Warrior Tough. Andrew, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Man, that thing is so long. I was like... I got to meet this guy. That sounds like a very interesting person. It always sounds better on paper. <laughs> Boy, doesn't it? You know, and, and when I, as I read Resolving Conflict in the Workplace, I'm like, okay, maybe he can tell us how to resolve conflict on the streets. Because in the Dallas area, we've had so much road rage in the last month. I mean, anytime I turn on the TV in the Dallas area, and I, unfortunately, I know it's not just Dallas. But right. there's road rage, there's rage in the sky, there's just crazy stuff happening. There is, and uh, it's interesting, you know, it's the thing about, and I used to be, I used to have an issue with anger, I'll tell you, because I was, in, you know, in the Marine Corps infantry, I mean, that's what they, I mean, we're war fighters, so they like to keep us angry, right, because that's what our job is, right, So, but that's not good when you go home uh, or you get out, right, and transition to the civilian world, so I had a bunch of issues with this. Um, early on, uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps, and uh, I began to really just study what's the root cause. I didn't just want to treat the symptoms, you know, because I wasn't getting anywhere with that. And what I found out is that, and this is right up your alley, is that when we get angry, we actually activate the reward center of the brain, and we we get like dopamine hits, and then we get adrenaline and neuroadrenaline. It makes us feel powerful and invulnerable, and and then it becomes like, a, you know, something that I have to have. And so then we become to actually get addicted to having that rage and that anger because it makes us feel good. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's really the science behind it. Well, you know, and whatever makes us feel good is what gets us going. And that's what that's what what we re, we react to is oh, that feels good. And you talked about the dopamine and you know that that gets really confusing up there in that brain for those little neurons and dendrites because, you know, you do something and you like it and then you get that good hit of dopamine and it felt so good and those little neurons get confused. Okay, it goes from I like it to I want it. I want to do that. And the more dopamine the brain gets, the more confusing it gets and it ends up, I need that. I have to have that. So... 
I mean, that dopamine is a pretty powerful influencer in the brain. It is. And then I, and so as I was experiencing that, you know, especially at home, like I would like something would just set me off and I start to be really thinking, well, what is really going on here? You know, what's the underlying cause of this anger? Cause really I would go off on my wife about something like you didn't, the TV was too loud or the t- TV was too soft or, you know, what, whatever, it was not really the issue, right? It's like, that's the end of it. That's really why am I going off now? I have to dig in deep. And really I, I, there's probably thousands of causes of anger, but I came up with like really four root causes or three, actually, I lumped them into three so that when I was in the middle of, you know, experiencing this rage, what could I, you know, where, where's this one coming from? Right. And the first one, I, I think it was fear, right. Whenever, whenever I felt like I wasn't in control of my circumstances, that it was out of control, I would get angry about that kind of like a trapped animal. <laughs> Well, you know, I think fear drives a lot of things that we do. And when we get in that fearful state, you know, that's because we're in that fight or flight mode Mm. and we just get stuck in it. And not that we want to stay there. But when I when I think of what I've gotten angry about in the last few days, you know, it's nothing worthy of anger. I can assure you that. Right. Hindsight. Right. Uh, I know. Right. And then the next thing that I would I would figure out when I would get angry, I would look at it and just as my own observation, it would whenever I felt like I was wronged or I was hurt or embarrassed or I felt like I was betrayed. Whenever I kind of felt that sting of rejection, if you will. Right. And and we know that from neuroscience that the brain registers rejection as physical pain. And so that would make me very defensive. And I would lash out whenever I felt like I was embarrassed or and one of the things I had to do was accept myself. Once I began to love me, then I didn't feel that, you know, embarrassment or hurt or pain to that level where I would lose my stuff. You know what I'm saying? But that's hard to do, isn't it? Accept yourself. Well, you know, I, what I, what I, I'm on the podium when I'm in corporations and, you know, I'm dealing with teams and stuff. I always give everybody homework to go home and look in the mirror and then their homework is to just accept themselves and love themselves. Right. So, because usually when we look in the mirror, what we see is all the flaws. Yep. I would say, welcome to the human race. We all have flaws. We all have to deal with it. Right. So just, yes, I want to make my life better. Yes. I want to learn and grow, but I just have to accept who I am and what my, you know, what the package is. I'll always work to make it better, but you have to start off by just accepting yourself. Look, and everybody has these same issues. You know, <laughs> once you realize that there's nothing uncommon to all of us, in the human race, it kind of takes away some of that, you know, inferiority, if you will. Well, and I think, you know, that's one thing my clients struggle with is accepting and forgiving. And, you know, it's so interesting because they can accept others. They can forgive others, but accepting themselves and forgiving themselves, that's much more difficult. And a lot of times it is, but we have to give ourselves permission to love ourselves, give ourselves permission to forgive ourselves, give ourselves permission. So I think a lot of times, you know, as we were growing up, society, sometimes it's our parents or teachers or even on, you know, all the media programming. And my Lord, we don't even want to talk about social media today, right, where we don't have, we, you don't even have permission to love yourself like we wouldn't like it's the, the, the way the cancel culture is and the way which brings me to my next you know the next root cause is really uh you would get angry and i see this all the time and i would see it in myself too where i felt morally superior i would have this self-righteous kind of you know judgmental 
you know, because I was a fat kid in high school, right? And I lost 50 pounds in boot camp. And I went through a phase where if I could lose 50, then I began to judge other people that were overweight because I felt like I was in a morally superior position, not remembering that I was just there. Does that <laughs> yeah, how quickly we forget, right? How, right, how quickly. So, and we see that on all the, on the, the news feeds on the social media is people screaming about their superiorly moral position and we cancel somebody that doesn't match up with what we think is, you know, the high ground morally. Well, you know, I think it's human nature to judge. And mm. that's one thing I try not to do is just be open to receive, don't judge. But I just think it's our nature to, to judge what's going on around us, whether it's politics, whether it's what's Getting going cut on off in, your, in traffic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now that, you know, let's talk about that a little bit, being cut off in traffic, because I have seen, I mean, we've seen some people die in the mm. Dallas area as a result of road rage. One guy got out of his car with a gun. He was walking up to the, the car in front of him. That guy had his family with him and oh, he had my. a gun. So what did he do? He wow. shot the guy. I mean, wow. and, and I, you know, at first I'm like, so crazy. But if I was, if somebody approached me, I can think back when my boys were young. And if somebody had approached me carrying a gun, it and was my boys sitting next to me and yeah, I had a gun. And yeah. And yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah. see, this is what, and again, this is kind of like, so with the traffic, that's another one of those self-righteous I'm in the moral position when someone cuts you off oh my you know how dare you blah 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 right I'm all but I try to remember like you said shut this off for just a second have I ever cut anybody off and did I do it like accidentally well yes so I want to give the other person the same benefit of the doubt that I would want to have given to me what is that there's like an old saying I, I might be saying it wrong Lee, but I think it's like we always like to be judged on our intentions, but we judge others on their actions. Something like that. Well, something like that sounds pretty right on to me because <laughs> that's exactly what we what we do do. And and, you know, I know I've cut people off um, and I know that I've even, you know, hit the horn a time or two. Now, I, I don't use hand gestures, but other than that, <laughs> I've certainly sent off negative vibes to people. And it's because it's because of what's going on with me. I'm running late. You know, I'm stressed out about some stuff that happened before at my house before I left. And then I got this email that just really I didn't understand, but it just it made me so mad. And then I get in my car. And so, you know, you tend to vent a little bit when somebody's sitting in front of me and the light's been green for like 30 seconds and you can tell they're sitting there texting it gets the best of me. <laughs> but I think you hit on something right there. I want to kind of like dive into that for a second, because it's usually the last thing that makes you pop off is not the thing. It's a series right. of things, right? We can, you just went back and you went through your day and you had like, it, there was like six or seven things that led up to this where you've just finally had enough, right? So I, I like say, we know this in neuroscience, like the neurons that fire together, wire together, right? So when you begin to just keep that anger and you take the next one and you just keep moving and we take the next one and we keep moving because we're so focused on getting stuff done and our pace in our society and multitasking and all those things. We miss the exits, the anger exits, right? So we've built this super highway of rage with the neurons and 
at any point you could have got off the exit. So the bad email, you could have stopped and been like dealt with your anger before it built up or the phone call or the text or the person that was texting or the person that cut you off. Right. So at, at any one of these points, we could have taken an exit and dealt with our anger. A lot of times we don't deal with it until it's too late. You're right. You're definitely right. I think that we we don't want to slow down. We think that we have to do, you know, you know how bad multitasking is for the brain. Awful, awful. And what we all, we take pride in saying, oh, you know, I can do five things at once. And my question to that is, well, do you do any of them well? I don't think so. <laughs> right. It's funny because in corporations, like we put that on our resume. And not only that, do we put it on our resume to get hired? Corporations, they, if you can't, you don't say you're a great multitasker. It's like they don't even want to hire you, but they don't even realize that when you split your cognitive processing, like you said, nothing gets done well. And then what happens is this is what happens with this anger issue is you're multitasking, multitasking, multitasking. Finally, you're, you know, the CPU of your brain gets overheated and then that's it. It shuts off. <laughs> so now I'm in that fight, flight or freeze. And then you get that hormone dump, that adrenaline dump where and then it sustains that response where you can't even be rational during that time. Because then you, you see these things as threats that aren't really threats. Right. Back in the day when it was like hunter gatherer, you know, here comes a dinosaur to eat me. That's a threat. Someone cutting, you know, is not moving fast enough in traffic or cutting you off and you hit your brakes and you see everything's fine. That's not really a threat. No, it's not. Talk about that. Talk about that dump that goes on in the brain and in the body. Right. So and you're you're the the neuroscience guru more than I am. But we know that the neurotransmitters, when you see a set of facts that happen, um, you perceive them in your mind that you, you make, you assign a value to it. Is this a threat? Is this not a threat? Is this good? Is this not good for me? And then the neurotransmitters fire off when you, you come up with that perception, the neurotransmitter actually mimics a thing called hormones. So it sends the signal to the endocrine system and then it floods your system with this hormones that sustain your response for 20 minutes. Right? So that's what I call the hormone dump. Now, if anybody's ever been in a near wreck or you, you almost did get cut off, this is what happens is even though you see everything is safe, a few seconds later, then your heart starts pounding and then you feel sick to your stomach and it stays that system. That thing stays in your system like 20 minutes. That's the hormone dump. If you ever had a near wreck car accident, you see everything safe logically, but then you feel your heart start beating after the fact, right? That's the hormone dump. So at that point, I call this the emotional seizure. It's really similar to an epileptic seizure, right? We don't try to reason with somebody who's having an epileptic seizure. We don't try to stop the seizure. We don't try to interrupt the seizure. We just try to keep them safe until the, 20, the seizure's over. So if you see an emotional seizure, it's the same principle. They can't be rational. Something came out of their mouth. They did something that they're not even really responsible for because when these chemicals hit your system, you lose all reasonable thought. So you got to just take a break for 20 minutes. And, you know, it, that sounds simple enough to do, but, you know, take a break, drink some water, get hydrated. But many times, and in particular, you know, that military world, don't power through, just suck it up, get going. <laughs> I mean, isn't that something that, that you had to learn to deal with? We, we did. I mean, it's, I mean, you could break your leg and the drill instructor tell you rub some dirt on it and get back in formation, you know, <laughs> right? So. Uh, that's funny, but it's not. But yes, I mean, 
but you do need to like understand that sometimes you can't power through these things. It's like, and if you, and I've said this before in like corporate, like, well, how can I just stop in the middle? I'm like, just ask for a bathroom break, a restroom break. No one's going to tell you you can't go to the men's room or the ladies' room. Like, they're not going to do it, right? So you could literally just change the venue and go get your. And then the next thing, as soon as you get away, then begin to control your breathing. Like this is the first thing, the first step of physiologically resetting your hormones is that controlling breath and then concentrate on your breathing. This is one of the big keys for me when I first started to deal with my anger issues was just really hone in and study how do I control my breathing. Well, and, you know, there's so many different philosophies around breathing, but we all know, I think we all agree that to slow our breath rate down is how we create wellness. And while we're talking, you know, I'm probably taking 12 to 14 breaths a minute, but my optimal breath rate is somewhere between four and seven. And to slow that breath down, that that's hard work and it takes a lot of focus. And I can remember when I first started working on my breathing and I had just gotten a cell phone. And I was trying so hard when at a red light not to pick up that cell phone. So I decided that <laughs> that at a red light, I was going to learn how to breathe. And that's how I, that's really the t- truth on how I learned how to breathe, um, made good use of, uh, you know, of empty time. And it's something I try to get my clients to do. And they'll do it with me in the office. But when I ask them, you know, OK, I want you to try this. Just take five minutes five minutes of your day and go do this. Do you think they do it? <laughs> well, it, it's, you got to think of it just like a physical, like you had a physical trainer, this breathing exercise. I started to look at this as the same way as I would do if I was, you know, doing squats or bench press. So, because in, in our minds, we might think we're doing the right thing. And we, in our minds, we might think we're doing a controlling breath, but unless you have somebody there that can really set those neurons in place that you're doing it correctly, somebody outside from yourself, it's very difficult to do on your own, right? So you kind of have to have like maybe somebody coach you through it. But I love the red light example. I do that as well. And then I try to see how low I could go, like how many reps of inhales and exhales can I do at a traffic light? And there's some lights in town that are longer than others. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to see if I can get down to two on this one, you know, and then you're like, yeah, you know, and then you're not freaking out, waiting on the train, you know, the beating the dashboard because the light's long. Have you really gotten down to two? Yeah, mm-hmm. I would practice it so with my kids. And this is another thing, right? When my, my boys were in high school wrestling, you'd be at these wrestling tournaments and you'd be sitting there in these tournaments all day to see your kid wrestle one, three or six minute match. You'd be like hours in between. And I would be going insane. So I would say, I'm going to just sit here and practice my breathing and try to get down to where I could take an inhale for 30 seconds and an exhale for 30 seconds. And then and and just try to, you know, continue on that. And it's 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 discipline and it's work. But you'd be amazed um, at how it really resets your physiology. Well, I do. I mean, I've seen studies that show if you can create heart rate variability, if you slow your breath rate down, that'll slow your heart down. And if mm-hmm. you can get those two to dance together, I've seen studies that show such amazing th- result for people with like diabetes it's correct it's it's and amazing high blood pressure, right? yeah high blood pressure. I, wanted to, I didn't want to you know as i'm getting older you know like in my family high blood pressure is running the history right so I'm like i don't want to be taking meds and stuff and there is actually like legit science you said between four and seven like sick at, at six breaths a minute 
you lower your blood pressure between 15 and 20 points, right? So, and then I would practice that even if you just did it for 15 minutes a day, right? So people are like, I don't have time. Of course you do. Everybody on the planet has the same exact amount of time every day, 24 hours, right? How you use it, how you invest it, how you spend it or waste it is completely up to you, right? So it's really just like a lazy shortcut to just take the pill instead of, you know, doing the 15 minutes. Well, it's it's so interesting because I've decided that I'm going to learn how to play golf. And so, and I'm just doing a group lesson. And this guy is so patient. He's so great. But he tells me every time, just swing the club. You don't have to, you know, get in your car, drive out here, get a bucket of balls and hit them to get better. All All you have to do is just your practice swing that we start off every time with. And so he asked, I had a lesson yesterday and he asked me, well, did, have you done your practice swing? And I said, well, <laughs> in, my, in my head. And he's like, you know, Lee, he said, another professional, he were discussing this. He said, why won't people do it? And I said, well, for the same reason, they won't breathe. <laughs> right. Uh, you tell them, I was like, now you know how it feels, Lee. Now the shoe's on the other foot. You know, it's like, yeah. I know. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, I, I think that's going to motivate me to start practicing that swing. I mean, he said, I finally got golf clubs. I didn't. I wanted to be sure that I could actually hit a ball with a golf club before <laughs> I invested in them. Yeah, yeah. But he said, keep a golf, keep your seven iron by your sofa. You know, just get up while you're watching a movie. He's like, I do. He said, everybody that is a professional in golf does that. And I thought, you know. It's just the simple things, the things that are so easy. Why do we try to, like, I don't think that will help me. I think I need to go to the driving range. I think I need to hit a large bucket of balls. And he says, I don't. So I understand how people in their own mind interpret and make decisions on what, it's their choice whether they do it or not. Correct. And you're so right, because a lot of the, here's what happens. We're like, it can't be that simple. It literally cannot be that easy. And yet it is. And that if you could get over that, it's it really can't be that simple. If you could get over that instead of having to do this big thing, you know, I have to this, this whole, you know, process of get in the car, drive to the driving range, all, all that stuff, get the bucket of balls, you know, and then and it, there's studies out that say that, like, the difference of this, why don't people don't work out either the difference between like, something that takes you 30 seconds or takes you a minute, you won't do it if it takes longer than 30 seconds. You'll decide, no, nah, it's too much work. I'm not going to do it, Whether, whatever it is. So I have what I call my three-minute rule. If it takes me, something takes me less than three minutes to do, I do it immediately. I don't even schedule it or put it on the, you know, the calendar. Like if, to respond to an email or text, if it's going to take me less than three minutes, I do it right now. Because I know later on, it's three minutes. I don't even want to try and schedule. Three minutes ain't enough to schedule, but it's also not enough to actually take time out of my day to do. <laughs> you know, and that's how the brain works. Oh, that's you make a really good point. Because some, if we would just do it, um, you know, we would save ourselves so much energy. We procrastinate. We think about, well, when should I do it? Should I do it now? Or maybe I should finish this first. And by the by, the time I get through with that little chit chat in my head, I could have done it. Right, and this is the same thing with dealing with your anger or your breathing or anything that any target that you want to hit in life. 
but we're talking about road rage today, right? So I want to, as soon as I, as soon as I start to feel myself physiologically ramp up, I need to take the immediate, um, immediate action drills. That's the military, an immediate action drill to get that hormone dump from happening, to get it back down. And the controlling breath is the very first piece of it, you know, and then take the time out. And my third thing that I would do is I would write my, you know, write my stuff out. I'll write my explosion, right? If I, and, and because when you write it out, what, you know, you're quote, quote, you know, in the middle of the tantrum, you write your tantrum out. By the time you get done writing it out, the 20 minutes of the hormone dump will pass and you go back and read that thing. It'll be the silliest thing you ever, you're like, what in the world? So if you really want to see a snapshot of what the hormone dump looks like in the middle of it, start writing out your tantrum instead of just screaming it, just write it out and then go back and read it later. Well, you know, that's a really good point because we, we both know how much more effective our, our goal setting process is an achievement if we write them down. Correct. So, and that just, you know, that helps you to redirect your energy and, and nothing's better than a good laugh at yourself. I'm telling you, it's like looking at your prom picture from the eighties. You're like, why did I think my hair looks good then? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, the brain is, it, it's amazing. And everything you do, you don't do, how well you do it, it's all based on what's going on in your brain. And what I have found with golf is that it's a mind game, more than a physical game. You know, if I take the time to get out there and I try to visualize hitting the ball and where that ball is going to go, instead of having it go off to the right, it likes the right. Um, <laughs> but taking the time and visualizing. And I think people... You know, I've even had some clients that say, you know, when you get in your car, before you turn that engine on, before you turn the key, just stop and visualize, you know, take a couple of minutes and go to your happy place. We all have, well, I know you have a happy place. I do. I know I you want to go to Bora Bora. Bora Bora is my happy place. I do. That's, that's, that's another uh, hack, if you will, to stop the rage or the, you know, the anger is to just take a what they call a micro vacation in psychology. And they found that this is, uh, you know, a 30 second visualization. And mine is bore bore with my wife. And I, you know, and I, it, we talked about this before, um, Lee, you and I, we talked about like, what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What's the taste of the drink? How do I make me feel? Who am I with? What are the, you know, the tingling on my skin from the sun and make this emotional kind of blueprint of that happy place. And then just spend 30 seconds thinking about it. Um, we know scientifically that it changes the hormone balance in our systems for the good, right? So we should all take the time to create that happy place and then spend as much time there, you know, three or four times a day, five times a day, you know, set up different segments of your day. And then whenever you feel like you're ramping up, just excuse yourself and take 30 seconds to think about your whatever your perfect day is. Well, I mean, and, and I think if you start off your day thinking about what your perfect day is, then you then you know what you're looking for. Because if you yeah. don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, most people can't. So, this so is an interesting thing. Go ahead. Oh, my bad. No, no, please. Well, I was just saying most people can always, they tell me what they don't want, but they have a very hard time saying what they do want. Like, I don't want to get cut off in traffic. Why I don't do you want think to. That like, is? Well, this is how the brain works, right? Because it's just easier. Like, water flows downhill. It's harder to push a rock uphill, right? 
grab be saying what we don't want target elimination then taking the cognitive time and the work to decide what is it that I do want what what does it look like like and we got it honest because when our parents taught us to look both ways across the street they said the reason is is so we don't get hit and what we found out in neuroscience is that whenever you say don't your brain chops off don't and whatever's left becomes the new target right like yeah. don't don't spill your milk is now in the brain spill the milk right uh, please, chief will say, I don't want this on the news. It's going on the news. In golf, don't hit it in the water. Where's the ball going? <laughs> in the water. Loose, right. So you need to look where your target is, not where it isn't. Well, there, you've mentioned so many things that we can do. to, And, and is it just self-control? Is it just mental control? Um, we got to control those hormones. So there's, we got to bring the brain in, but there's, when we stop and think about, there's only one thing that we can control and that's ourselves. Correct. And that's it. I don't worry about anything outside myself, except what I, my response is. I can control, I can control my breathing, right? And through my breathing, I can control my heart rate and I can control how I emotionally respond and I can control my thoughts. Right. But that, and again, but that's a discipline. You have to look at thinking as a physical skill. Like when you first started driving the car, when my teenagers first started, everything was herky-jerky. They're not good at it. You know, within three weeks, they're like kicking back and playing with the radio and right. But this is just like that. You have to like assert that control until it becomes an autopilot habit of being in control. Most of us have the habit of being out of control. Well, and it is autopilot. When you think about half the things that you do during the day, do you, like I get up, I don't think about when I'm brushing my teeth. I just have my routine. I know exactly what I'm going to do when I get up. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to take my vitamins. I'm going to take my drops. And then I arrive at, at the gym and I haven't even thought about it. So we're on autopilot, that is for sure. And I think that there's good and bad in that. And sometimes I think that reactionary, when we overreact or we, we react just from emotion, um, we're not stopping to, to stop and think about it. So we're going to take a little break right now, but when we get back, we're going to learn more about what you can do to help yourself learn how to control. Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, 
passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at more at www.joycebufordempowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Blake the Duck has been making the news ever since he was adopted by a family in Freeport, Maine. After bringing home the abandoned duckling, he immediately bonded with Kylie, the Brown family's five-year-old daughter. When Snowflake refused to stay in the backyard, Kylie's parents said they had no choice but to give him a diaper and make him a house duck. A lot of kids go to the park to see the ducks, but five-year-old Kylie Brown takes her duck to see the park. Snowflake cadoodles and swims around the pond, and he comes when Kylie calls. You could call it gubble or a meaningless conversation, but Kylie and Snowflake seem to understand each other. In the winter, Kylie and Snowflake like to go sledding. What's another word for a sled? A hurly hacket. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back and we want to take this conversation a little bit more global. We want to look at it as how it impacts the there's different parts of society and the people that defend us are the police officers, the firemen, the military, you know, they're exposed to this anger probably on a regular basis. Yeah, and, uh, and especially with, like, you know, everyone loves a firefighter because they show up when we're in trouble and help us out, right? So, but the police officers, a lot of times we have a preconceived notion that they're pulling us over for speeding, they're interrupting our life, they're going to take our freedom away, right? So the firefighter is giving us life, but the police officer, their job is, in our minds, to take away our freedom. So there's already this preconceived, remember, one of our root causes of, of anger was the fear that we couldn't control the situation. And the, the badge and the gun represents, I have no control over the situation. So there's a lot of hormone dumps and adrenaline fight, flight, or freeze based on misconceptions between each side, the blue line and then the civilians. So that's why we're seeing a lot. And it's, it's not necessarily any more prevalent than it was before. We just see more of it because of social media that's more available for us 24 seven. If something happens, like you said, something happens in Shreveport, we know about it. it used to be, it would have to be something big that happened in, in a big city uh, to make the news. And we would see it at six o'clock at night or in the newspaper. But now every second we could refresh our social media feed or our news feed and, and we see it. So it seems like it's more than it was. It's just more reported and readily available. We call it the uh, availability bias in psychology. Well, you know, you're right, though. I was watching the, the news the other morning and I saw where a crane had fallen on somebody and killed him. And then somebody was camping in Montana and a bear had come and attacked the person and, and killed him. But when you put that on top of all the other violence that you hear about, 
it just piles up and up and up. And, and I, I got off, you know, I walked away saying, what's going on in the universe? Is the universe just angry? No, it's just that we have more, more, that information is more readily available. So we kind of think that it's more. But yep. if you actually, yeah, if you look at actually the science of it, it's, it's safer now. There's actually less violence on planet Earth now than there has been in the history uh, of, human, of the human race since records have been kept. Isn't that crazy? That is. But I like but hearing cool. that. And we need yeah, to hear that, more of that. We should, but that doesn't sell, you know, advertising, right? It doesn't drive ratings to say it's safe. Now, there's less famines. I know this sounds crazy, but there is less wars, right? There's less violence. There's actually less gun violence. In the Wild West, before we had, like, police officers and police departments patrolling our streets and everybody was acting normal— you would go out and you could have a duel. I mean, we even had two vice, we had like vice president candidates like killing each other back in the day, right? They had a duel. You, you know, uh, offended my honor and they go out in the street and shoot at each other. That was perfectly legal back in the day. So, you know, and, and not even to mention like the gore of the Roman Empire when legionnaires would come through and just lay waste to everybody, right? <laughs> when they're taking territory. All right. So we have peace and prosperity and less violence now than we've ever had. But we feel like that it's more because we're inundated with all this information. You're right. I mean, we see it, we hear it, it's all around us. Um, and there, that, I think that 24-hour stream of it, you know, the brain just gets to the point where I can't take anymore. And that fight or flight, and then we, you know, on the opposite side of that is we go numb. We freeze and we just want to lay down on the floor and curl up in our fetal position and, and go to sleep right because what's the point i mean it's right so that we have that those two and uh i mean it's adrenal fatigue i mean we're just fatigued with it and you know that's why i cut off like i don't you know i don't watch the news anymore i don't you know i'm aware of things that are going on but i don't have notifications on my phone like if a breaking news thing happens i i, I check when the news is and I don't check like every five seconds right so I don't have Facebook and Twitter notifications the only notifications I've allowed on my phone are like text messages from my family and that's it you know I got it locked down so that I kind of create this bubble of you know serenity and peace you know around me just with I won't feed on all that junk I want to feed I'll, I'll go search out what are the good things that are happening on planet earth right now and there are a lot of them, you know, and you make so it, much. There really is. And, and you make such a good point, because at the end of the day, what I tell my clients is at the end of the day, what are you grateful for? Mm -hmm. We have so much to be grateful for. What are, you know, three things that happened today that you're grateful for? And I think the problem with that is, is people are always looking for some really grandiose thing, you know? But that's it, it never is. You know, I'm grateful that I got to talk to my both of my boys yesterday. Mm. I'm great. You know, it's those types of things that that make us feel good. And I'm grateful for this new sugar free cream soda. You know how long I've been looking for a sugar free cream? I know we're laughing, but I'm sipping on it right now. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, I found it. I was like, woo. You know? <laughs> but see there, it doesn't take a whole lot, does it? No, and like this wouldn't even be available without the technology and the information, right? This is the good side of it, is that I could get, you can find it. Like I can look online and find, is there, does this even exist? Well, some awesome person also likes sugar-free and likes the cream soda, right? So they found a way to make it and it's healthy. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, 
that's what I, that's the good part. So I'm always looking for those good things. And there's so many. I mean, technology has certainly changed the way I do business, the way we train the brain. Uh, in the last 15 years, it's just, it's amazing. And it gives all of us, it makes our life better. It makes our life easier. But we don't, you know, when your computer gets hacked, you don't think about that. No, but I do always, I, and this is one of my grateful things. On the early days, like the first five or six of my deployments that I started back in like 1985, like during Desert Storm. I got to talk to my wife one time in four months, and we had to drive out to this place where AT&T had set up a tent with a satellite link, and we had to wait in line for like four hours to have a 60-second phone call. And there was like a line, right? And by the time I was my four deployments in Afghanistan back in like 2010, 11, and 12, we literally could be on Skype, and I could see them, and I could see my kids, and we would, you know, even with the times, I would make sure that I was up while they were having breakfast before they went to school, and we had the Skype on. Like, I was like, this technology is so great. Yeah, I mean, I think that we just have to appreciate more instead of just being so reactionary. We are just, we're coming out of a, something we never thought we would experience. And people are expected to go back to the workforce to actually go into the office. And that's causing a whole lot of negative chit chat. Yeah, and I don't really understand that. I'm I don't either. So- Everybody's so ramped up to get to like, you know, the theme park and the beach and the, you know, the nightclub, but we don't want to go back to work, but you want to get like, we've had more travel. It's be, the, the travel is past pre-pandemic levels. Like it's rocketed, but people don't want to go to work. So I got to think this, this is different than like an anxiety issue. I think it's more like maybe like a laziness or a lifestyle choice. Like, I don't like to go to work and do the, I don't want to get back into doing the grind. Then find another job, but that's a different issue, right? Stop trying to, you know, and this is one of the delusional things that I see with the anger is I I would always look for what's really the underlying cause. What's really going on here? Like a lot of times, even in domestic violence, the, the husband will come home or the wife, I've seen that too, will take out on the spouse the stuff that they're taking from the boss. And like, so they get bullied at work and then they come home and I'd say it's the dog they could kick or they're bully the dog, they'll bully the spouse, they'll bully the kid but because people, it'll roll downhill. But that's not really the underlying cause is that you're mad at your spouse. Really, it's because you're mad at work and then because you didn't deal with that you are in a job that you probably weren't built for or created for and you don't like, but you keep doing it for whatever reason. And that's why a lot of why you bring your anger on something. Or So what's the underlying cause? I don't think that there's really... Uh, fear about going back to work. We don't want to go back to something that we don't like. I think you're right, but I think there's there is fear uh, because our lifestyle has changed. I mean, I have friends that never even get dressed during the day, and you know, I don't. I'm afraid. I mean, I wouldn't even know what to put on and go to work anymore. You mean I have to fix my hair? And I'm like, well, don't you like to look nice? You know. Yeah, see, I gotta call. I gotta call him out on that. That's not fear. I don't know what. I, I don't have to fix my hair. This is this is a different issue than I'm afraid to go out the house. No, you're right. I, it's so, laziness. Correct. So we just have to call that what it is. You're hiding behind the you're saying, "Oh, you're scared to go out," but you're not really, because if it was something that you'd want to do, you would go out and you would fix your hair. Well, and I think that we've become so insular during this pandemic. That we're, we're just turned into ourselves. And some of us like it there. 
Well, I used to say, I was like, I've been social distancing for 40 years. Come on in, the water's fine, right? I mean, I'm, I am introverted. I mean, I, I'd rather not go to a tailgate or, a, you know, a block party or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, but I was straight up about that before we had the pandemic. <laughs> I don't like hanging around with people. You know, it's like I would make myself, you know, uh, for the sake of certain relationships. But I don't enjoy, you know, hanging out at a tailgate and, you know, shotgunning beers and talking about complaining about you know, my job, complaining about the government, complaining about the market, complaining about, you know, school or work or, right, that's not my bag. That's a lot of what these social interactions actually turn out to be is just a big complaining fest about how bad life is, um, you know, and, 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 and then everybody gets dopamine hits off each other because people are like, they sympathize with that. So you get a dopamine hit from complaining about it. So if that's what your social outlook is, I, you know, I'm not in for that. No, I mean, that's not productive and it doesn't add value. My question is, is if I'm going to do something, does it add value for me or for somebody else? It doesn't have to just be me, but does it add value? And I think that question. Yeah. yeah. And how we react to people. If we stop and think about, we don't stop and think about, you know, if I cut them, how are they going to feel? We don't think about that. We just think about, oh. They made me mad. They deserve it, you know. Right. Like that's that's what when someone cuts me off in traffic, I always try to think, have I ever done that to somebody? Yes, I have. Did I mean it? No. So I'm maybe they didn't mean it. I'm gonna give them the same benefit of the doubt that I would be asking for somebody, right? So like have I done something like that before? Yeah, I've probably done something like that before. I probably shouldn't get mad at them because I've done something like that before. Absolutely. We all have. And there's nothing wrong if you pull up next to them at the light. Just mouth. I'm sorry. Um, and I'm sorry right. can go a long way. It can. And yeah. Hey, I apologize. You know, I'm, and, and this is one of the things I used to be bad at was be apologizing and owning your stuff. Right. When I was angry all the time. You know, once you give yourself permission to be wrong and, you know, and, and, and to apologize, it really it makes things so much smoother. It does. And it's so much more genuine because if you're striving for perfectionism, the state does not exist. <laughs> Correct. You're just setting yourself up for failure, which I used to do. I used to like strive. I was a perfectionist until I realized I would never get there. And I was just an exercise in frustration. So I became a man of excellence instead. I strove for excellence, which is as long as I give my best effort, it gives me permission to not be perfect. There you go. Well, you know, how do you think that we get people to open their hearts and and open their mind to, to that level of understanding? Where do you think that comes from? Well, for me, and this is just an observation, I just love on them. Like, and, right, and we've talked about this before on your show, like acceptance versus rejection. Yep. Rejection is the number one fear of all humans. Acceptance is the number one need. Once you accept yourself, then you can go about you giving that acceptance to others because you can't give anybody anything you don't have. If you don't accept you, you cannot give that acceptance to others. So once you accept yourself and love you first, then you can go love everybody that comes into your, now look, I don't put up with bad behavior. I'm not going to let anybody hurt anybody, but I accept who you are and I love you and I'm not trying to change you. Right. So, and that's the first step to get them to open their hearts. Is it, and listen, you, I always I joke, I'm like, you become like a crack dealer. If you fulfill somebody's number one need, some of them have, may never have had unconditional acceptance. If you give that to somebody, 
they're never going to get enough of being in your space. True. That's true. Because what we get more of is that rejection. Right, which causes, we know neuro, neurologically it causes the same, it registers the same as physical pain. So I want to give them, you know, just you're absolutely safe with me. I love you. Listen, we're not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to put up with bad behavior. You're not going to, you know, lie, cheat, and steal and all that stuff, right, in my bubble. But I'm still going to love you. And that's what open up. That's what opens up people's hearts when you you open. And, and look, it, you have to take a risk. Why you have to accept yourself because you're going to you're going to get rejected from certain people. They're not going to. No one will. Not everybody's going to open their heart. So no. if you right, so you have to kind of inoculate yourself from that rejection. So I actually, I mean, I don't give anybody the power to reject me, including my wife. About a decade ago, I took that power away from her, and it was great for my marriage because now. If, if, if she could reject me, if she comes home from work and there's dishes in the sink, she's like, there's always dishes in the sink. I could feel that as rejection. And now the defensiveness is on and now we have a conflict. But if I accept me and I take away, I accept her and I take away her power to reject me. When she says there's dishes in the sink, I'd be like, well, there is. And did you have a bad day, honey? What happened? You know, it's because you're irritated. Right. Let's talk about it while I'm washing the dishes. Right. But I don't feel the pain of her rejection if she said it to me because I took away her power to reject me. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, you know? And that's that's a, a good way to look about it, to think about it. We do give people that power. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because we think we, sh- you know, to, to be a good spouse or, or to be a good mother, um, that we need to do those things. And you make such a great point. We don't. What else do we give away? <laughs> give away. Well, we, we abdicate our power over our own thoughts, right? Our own thought processes. We kind of feel like it's just a jungle up in our brain sometimes. But I, when I say I, my whole, uh, I'm I kind of a control freak, but I want to control all my thoughts. If a bad thought comes, I want to identify it. Is this helping me or hurting me? Or like your question was, is this adding value? If this thought is not adding value, I will handcuff it and escort it out of my brain. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but I, but think about it like this. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, right? So I can't keep thoughts from coming into my head, but I can keep birds from making a nest in my hair, right? And if physically, if a bird landed on your head, how long would it take for before you, you know, flinched and got that thing off? Would you let it set up shop and build a nest up there? No, nobody would, but we let these negative thoughts and these thoughts of, rejection or hurt or fear, right? They, we let them make a nest in there. Now we wouldn't physically let a bird do it, but we let thoughts do it. And so I kind of like to visualize it like that. I'm not going to let any thought that doesn't add value to my life set up shop and make a nest in my head. And, you know, that's what I find sometimes is so hard for people. They get those repetitive thoughts, those ruminating thoughts. And a lot of that has to do with what part of the brain is, is dysregulated. Right. If you get that cingulate looping, and once that thing starts looping, it'll never stop. But it's the hardest thing to do is for them to to stop those thoughts. And I think it ties into what you were saying. Something has happened, happened that they have not accepted. And that's why they keep those thoughts keep com- coming back to it. Right. And, and this is what I know about neuroscience. Like we said, the neurons that fire together, wire together and create the superhighway. So you're on that loop. So think about this. Instead of trying to shut down that highway, just create a detour. 
right? Start a new highway. Instead of trying to stop thoughts from happening, I'm going to start thinking new thoughts that put me on a different neural pathway and build a new neural superhighway. So this is what people have to do with habits. They try to stop habits. Don't try to stop a habit. Start a new habit, right? And create a new, a detour, a beltway around this, you know, interstate. And we're going to do another, you know, instead of this, like, I, well, I can't remember what it is in Dallas. Tell me what's the interstate in Dallas. I can't remember what it is right now. Oh, there's 635. 635, right. So 635 is the beltway around 35. So instead of 35, what I'm going to do is create a new beltway to go around 35 to I have 635 and do a bypass, right? So instead of trying to shut down 35, I'm just going to create a new superhighway with different thoughts. So instead of trying to stop this repetitive thought, let's start new repetitive thoughts that actually help me instead of hurt me. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I think that, you know, that's a good way to look at it. And if we can just reframe our thoughts and focus on what you can control, not what Mm -hmm. you can't, life gets a lot easier, but that's easier said than done. Yeah. And I like to, I like to write those, you know, when you're reframing, I want to like, I like to write it down. Right. You know, remember when we were in high school, it'd be like, I will not chew gum in class. I will not chew gum in class. I will not chew gum. (laughs) So I'm going to take my new thought. Like if mine is, you know, I love Bora Bora or whatever that thought is, write that sentence out. I'll write it a hundred times. And while I'm writing it, I'm thinking it, right? Yep. Just like we were doing, don't chew gum in class, right? I'm going to write, you know, I, I, you know, whatever your affirmation is that you want to write, whatever that thought is that you want to create and get, get my clients to do something physically as well as mentally. I'm, I try to get the thought, think of thinking as a physical skill, like a sport or, you know, swinging a golf club or a tennis racket or swim strokes or, you know, if you think of thinking is look at it as a physical skill with certain steps to practice, it becomes a lot more ordered. You know, and, and you mentioned affirmations and I think affirmations are so important. And I, I know I have used them to pull me through some of the hardest times. I think I really, when I lost my office to a tornado in October, 2019, I'll never forget walking in, feeling those suede boots just get wet with all the water on the floor. And, you know, and I just stood there and I thought, you know what? I'm going to come back bigger and better and stronger. And then for that first week, I must have said that 50 times a day. And the louder I said it, the stronger I felt. Mm, That's so good. It's so right on. And I think we can all, no matter, you know, what your affirmation is, um, find one, find one. You know, if you want to go Tony Robbins, do incarnations, you know, but find something that states that resonates with you and that gives you that peace and that gives you that reassurance. Absolutely. And and that's the, I mean, like you said, find one that works for you, you know, (laughs) It could be as simple as like that one that you had, you know, after the tornado, and it might only be for that season. It got you through that season, right? So you're probably not saying it 50 times a day now because maybe you have a different, right? And so don't be afraid. Don't be like, I have to have this mantra and that's it for life. It's not, it's a living, your life is a living document. You can edit it and change it as much as you want. It's not written in stone. No, you're exactly right. And my mantra right now is what if, ooh, what ifs? Because I have all these positive ideas in my head. So, and I just love to ask myself, well, what if? Because then I'll go down a, a train of thought that certainly puts a smile on my face. That's so awesome. 
So, I mean, I think that for people, there's some basic things that they can do on an everyday basis that don't cost them anything. You know, it does take time and it does. Maybe you have to, instead of sitting down and watching TV, right. you know, maybe you have to take some time and go sit outside. And you're right. We mentioned meditation earlier. And, you know, that used to be more of a spiritual experience. And what, sometimes when I say meditation, people look at me like, mm, no, no, I'm not going there. Right. But, but meditation to me is just learning how to be quiet with yourself. Just have some silence. And you don't have to talk to yourself. You don't have to listen to yourself. Right. But just be silent. Right. Solitude. I was, when people say that, I'm like, oh, look, it's the fortress of solitude. It was good for Superman. You know, it's good for you. Have a fortress of solitude. You know, a place where you go where you're just quiet. So right on. Well, we yeah, have just a, a few people, minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was going to say we have just a few minutes left. And what else can you share with people? You know, things that they can do. And I think that's where you were going. <laughs> it was. We were like on the same sheet. Right. You don't listen. You, like turning off the TV. So those are external voices. Right. That's that's a voice which we know um, there did studies called neurocoupling where there's a leader and a drone. So when you're when you're watching program, your mind actually syncs up with what the producer syncs up. So everybody that's watching a whatever program, we're all thinking the same way at the same time. The brain fires off in those patterns. So become the leader of your own thought pattern, right? Like turn all those off, get, you know, solitude and begin to think what, what could help me instead of hurt me? Wait, is this helping me or hurting? What's my target? What do I want? Not what I don't want. What do I want? Right. So begin to think of what it is that just meditate on what you're, and I say meditate, but mull over is really what the, what meditate means. Just to chew it over in your mind what your perfect day would look like and just start there. I know I said that before, but because it's too much for some people, you'd be like, oh, think of what you, you want your great life to look like. Just take a day. And if there was no budgetary restraints, if there was no geographic restraints and there was no time restraints, right? So you could just jump from, if your perfect day is I'm on the golf course in, you know, uh, Palm Beach or whatever, and then I'm on, you know, and then I want to be on the lake, up in Michigan and then I want to be on safari in Africa and then I want to climb the Himalayas like do that make your perfect day like that with if there was no restraint while you're thinking down these paths you you're not angry anymore you're not in fear you don't have time to even think about negative stuff because you're building your perfect day with no restraint like it's just such a great thing to do while you're in solitude pretty soon you're going to want to be there and turn off the tv you don't want somebody to tell you their drama right or somebody, you know, the whole TV stuff is all set with an antagonist and a protagonist. Unless there's a conflict, there's no real drama. I want to go bore bore with my wife, man. You know, I think I think that's an excellent note to, to end on, because it's our day is what we choose. And oftentimes we don't think it's our choice that we're, you know, how's our day going to be? But it is our choice. And if we're going to go home and watch the, the murder mystery or the crime show, I mean, where does that take you? Or if you're going to go home and sit outside, maybe the birds will sing to you. Uh, maybe a dog will come out and you can rub its head. But you're you're choosing pleasurable things that give you pleasure. Andrew, I can't thank you enough for being with me today. You always come at things, you know, you have a resilience. Uh, <laughs> and you always come at things with that resilience. I appreciate your time very much.
On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,